Welcome to Gin and Topic. I'm Sarah. And I'm Anya. And we don't know anything about anything, really, but we do like to drink gin. That's true. So we decided each week we would drink gin with an expert on something, and hopefully they can teach us something. Awesome. Lovely. Sancho. Agreed. Okay, so... This week, we are talking to Kate Atkin Mm -hmm. about imposter syndrome. Mm. Mm. Very exciting. Mm. Mm -hmm. What do you know? What do we know about imposter syndrome? Well, imposter syndrome has been coming up quite a lot on my Instagram Explore page. Because... I get recommended TikTok videos and quite a lot of the ones I get recommended, and let's not read too much into this, is from therapists explaining things on TikTok, which is nice. It I is. Get a little, little it lessons. is nice. And we'll just ignore why they keep I don't up know. It's that and girls you. dancing in their pants. So, you know, either mm. one of those is worrying. I'll show you later. It's yeah. weird. Um, but imposter syndrome is one of the things that keeps coming up and it's stuff I've listened to podcasts on and my understanding of it, mainly from How to Fail with Elizabeth Day, excellent podcast, is that feeling you get when you've done something where you're successful mm-hmm. in any way, shape, form. Let's say I got promotion tomorrow mm-hmm. and I was like, oh my God, I've been promoted. But then I'd feel like I didn't serve that promotion. Mm-hmm. I doubt myself. Mm-hmm. That is what I understand to be imposter syndrome. Yeah. Yeah. And th- and that's our question is what is it? Mm-hmm. But also because we like to tag, we like to yeah. we like to tag a little question. Mm-hmm. Where does it come from? Yeah, and is there a way to stop feeling it? Because I'm a massive self doubter. You know this. I doubt most things I do. But so. I think, and I think that's a really interesting thing because it. When does imposter syndrome become mm-hmm. imposter syndrome, or just, just being, being those little yeah self doubt mm-hmm. type things? Mm-hmm. Um, or even, you know, actually the little correct voice that says, actually, you have put yourself in a situation <laughs> that you are not highly experienced mm-hmm. or professional. And that's when I might, you know, it's just good luck. I don't deserve this. I don't, I'm not. All right. Yeah. 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 So <laughs> we are also drinking a gin. Drinking gin. Thank God. And I need one. This gin is chosen by Kate. Yes. This week. And she's going to tell us more about why she's chosen it. But I love, this has to be the best label on a gin bottle. So? I love it. I love it. It's Spirit of Skegness, London Dry Lincolnshire Gin. And it's mm. got a picture of a fat fisherman. <laughs> and I just love it because it reminds me of those 90, the Victorian sort of postcards. Yeah, yeah. It, it does have a wizard that about it. And so I think it should be a fun gin to drink. Mm. Whereas I'm I'm a bit of a bougie bitch. I prefer a more sophisticated mm. looking label. Yeah. I like the ones that I look at it and I go, I'll feel fancy drinking that. Well, do you know, that's why I think this is quite good for imposter syndrome. Oh, yeah. Because it's am I trying like, to be a fancy bitch? To well, get- <laughs> maybe, maybe. Mm. And that's why I quite like it. It's yeah. just like... A funny, a bit of a joke, but of... it could—it should be delicious, I think. Right here we go, Skegness Gin. Yay! Oh, note, note the chappy, the jolly fisherman, <laughs> is actually the uh, 
fatter version. He got slimmed down a few years ago. Oh! This is the original, and I notice it says it's from the National Archives at the very bottom of the label, because he is the original Jolly Fisherman on here, not oh. not the slimmed down version Jolly Fisherman. That's, That's really like interesting. Original. It's not a bad thing to be a Jolly Fisherman with a bit of weight on. Well, I love the label of this. Yes, the label's um, gorgeous, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and I've chosen the Fever Tree Tonic. I've gone for Mediterranean Tonic Water. Ooh, that that would be good. Now we've gone for just the light. Yes. Ah, And then you were talking about pairings. So the Skeggy said raspberries and lime peel. So Ah, we've gone for that. Now I could have put lime peel in, but I haven't. I've got lemon in. Yeah. Nice. Chin chin. They made me happy dance. It's it's just clean, good gin. (laughs) It is very clean. Mm -hmm. Really clean. And actually, the more I drink it, the cleaner it is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I just keep drinking it. (laughs) can be quite a boozy podcast. (laughs) It's a little too close to being non-alcoholic feeling. No ploy, no nothing. I'll just keep drinking. (laughs) Might have to have two. (laughs) So, Tammy, why why are we drinking Skegness Gin? Drinking Skegness gin, because that's where I was born, in Skegness at the maternity hospital there. So, years ago, I won't tell you that. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, um, Skeggy, it always used to be one of those things where I said I was born in Skegness, but never actually lived there, because I haven't lived in Skegness. But at the time I was born, my parents lived at a farm on the flats of Lincolnshire. So I'm a true yellow belly and was bred and bred. Up at, brought up in Lincolnshire on the Friskney Flats. And so brought up until the age of eight on the Friskney Flats and then moved to the edge of the Wolds, which is actually where I am now, and moved back here into a cottage that I used to dream of living in when I walked past with my own mum. Oh, of that's so nice. It, it's, it's one of those lovely places to come back to. Mm. But it's also quite interesting when you return somewhere because you return as yourself where I've been a number of years away from Lincolnshire. And then I'm back into a place where some people remember me from my childhood. Mm -hmm. Others have no idea that I ever lived in the village at all. And some know my dad really, really well because he's well known in the village. So I've become Bill Atkins' daughter at times. And yet I'm also Kate, you know, in my own right. Mm -hmm. And I I try to sort of hang on to that as well. So talking about feeling like an imposter, there's sometimes when you sort of think, well, I'm not going to tell people this, but then I'm hiding stuff about myself. So, yeah, it's it's quite interesting dilemma. That is like going back to Norfolk for me, because whenever I go back to visit my mum, it's the thing of, grew up there some people know me and some people see me and they're like I think I went to school with her and I'm like yep that was me <laughs> and it's funny isn't it I mean I ran away to London and yeah. said I was never coming back this way at all mm. going to London I feel I've kind of come back but I haven't yeah. I haven't gone quite that far <laughs> and we are talking about imposter syndrome or phenomenon or phenomenon Ooh. well I haven't yeah I've only mentioned so and so our question is what is imposter syndrome and where does it come from and we've been talking about what we know about it Mm -hmm. Um, and Anya was saying that actually a lot um, of imposter syndrome comes up in Mm -hmm. uh, stuff 
social in, in <laughs> social media mm-hmm. conversation in lots and, of different things but so tell us what is imposter syndrome okay so it's a misnomer in that you're not an imposter and nor is it a syndrome thing. excellent good i'm but glad we like cleared that. it out so yeah. imposter syndrome doesn't exist <laughs> exactly. Exactly. excellent yeah that's about that so we could cut it here couldn't we yeah, yeah. Done. Done. yeah. podcast yeah. we're done <laughs> we now understand everything we need to know about it imposter syndrome doesn't no. exist yeah. <laughs> it's an internal feeling of fraudulence of wondering when you're going to be found out and it's it's often very intense for people who experience this so it's this intense internal feeling of um, I don't belong here. I don't deserve the success that I've got. If I open my mouth and ask a question in this meeting, they're going to know that I know nothing about the topic that we're talking about. You know, all of that stuff. But I feel inside. that every single day. <laughs> it's, and it's inside people. So the imposter bit, when you know of a, a talk about people being an imposter and real frauds, they are actually genuinely pretending to be something they are not. Mm-hmm. The imposter phenomenon and i'll come on to that bit which is why it's not a syndrome is where people think they are pretending to be something they think they are um somehow got this job or level of of success or the academic um either qualification or just happened to get into whatever university let them in and they've they've got there by luck or sometimes by hard work but it's somehow a fluke and they don't deserve the success so this internal feeling of fraudulence is accompanied by external evidence of success that isn't believed on the inside whereas a real imposter is actually truly pretending to be something they're not Mm -hmm. this is where somebody believes they are pretending to be something that other people think they are but they are really are that successful. They really are that good. They just haven't internalized it. It's just a and level this, of self-doubt. Now I'll come back to that piece on. Oh, oh, an interesting point about self-doubt to make. And and the syndrome phenomenon conundrum is where syndrome has a pathological connotation. It has a, a medicalized mental health condition connotation with it. And it is not that at all. Some people are trying to pathologize. There are a couple of researchers that I know of who've done some elements. Of, of talking about imposter syndrome and is it a, um, a, a form of, of mental health condition all of the research that I generally look at says no it's an internal feeling of, of intense um, fraudulence despite the external evidence of success but it's not actually a syndrome it's not a mental health condition it links to some it has links to anxiety it has links to self-sabotaging behaviors and it has some links to depression as well but of itself on its own, mm-mm, not a syndrome, a phenomenon. And a phenomenon is an occurrence at certain points in time. So people who experience this internal feeling of fraudulence feel it at certain points. It's not a constant throughout. So they maybe feel it when they're at work and not at home, or maybe feel it the other way around. They're fine at work, but not at home. They maybe feel it at certain points in the workplace or certain points with certain people, mm-hmm. but it's not a constant throughout your life type thing. So that's where it's a phenomenon. It's an occurrence at certain points in time. It's on a continuum. So for some people, it's really intense at certain points. For some people, it's really light. And for some people, it doesn't exist at all. And they just don't understand why, if people are successful, why have they not internalized that success? You know, why can they not just think, yeah, great, I've got that bit, sussed. 
And they, then they find it really hard from the outside to understand that some people actually do have this feeling. Mm. And it is quite common. Research shows that roughly 70% of people at some point in their lives will experience this. Mm. And will come the, the gender split with men and women is that men experience it roughly equally to women. But from certainly anecdotal and some social psychology research, they experience it differently. But I want to come back to the self-doubt bit, because, Sarah, at the start, you were mentioning that we're hearing a lot more about it. Or is that mm. to do with the um, mm. bias that you have, the attention bias? And actually, I think you are hearing a lot more about it because it's conflated with self-doubt. Mm-hmm. So as Anya mentioned there, it's like ah, self-doubt. Self-doubt is good and is healthy and is helpful to have when you're doing something for the first, second or third time. Hey, I'm healthy. Exactly. <laughs> when you're doing something for the 10th or 15th time and you've already got a level of success under your belt and then you're going on the inside, oh my God, what if this time they find me out? What if I end up um, being discovered to be a fraud? You know, what if dot, 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 if one failure then equates to the fact that everything else, all of the other past successes have been flukes. And you have a little bit of the self-doubt style of adrenaline that gives you the edge can be really helpful. So as we said on your earlier on, you know, Mm -hmm. some level of it is really healthy. But actually, there's lots of media reports that are coming out with people going, oh, um, there was some self-doubt or or they're terming it imposter syndrome when actually it's Mm self-doubt. So Jacinda Ardern. Uh, was quoted in The Guardian about trying to turn self-doubt into something more positive, which is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, we love Jacinda. Does have an imposter syndrome. So whether mm. she actually mentioned imposter syndrome, I don't know. But in The Guardian article, they've actually labelled it as imposter syndrome. And and that's just not, ex- not exactly what she said. And she mm. talks about people having a gnawing lack of confidence. Well, that's again, is different mm-hmm. from the imposter syndrome. So confidence, if we're going to talk specifically about what confidence is, self-efficacy in the academic terms is defined as the perceived ability to succeed at a given task. And the weird thing is you can have this perceived ability in your head that you can do this specific task and you can still have the imposter phenomenon lurking Mm -hmm. and the imposter chatter going on behind. You sort of have your head saying, logically, I know I can do this. Ah, but what if this time it doesn't work out? You know, this time's the one we're going to find you out. Um, When you've already got evidence of having done it, before you know mm-hmm. and successful evidence of having done it before mm-hmm. more mm-hmm. than once that should assuage the normal self-doubt but if it's still there it's imposter style self-doubt see I get whenever I start a new gym and I've gone to gyms before and I go I know what I'm doing I know where all of the things are I know what I like doing but the minute I'm in a new gym it's like all these people in here are going to think that I can't lift weights and I'm just a puny little person and they're going to laugh at me. And I know, but nobody is really thinking that because they're all too busy checking out their own biceps in the mirror. But you do that. So then I'm like, right, well, I'm just going to find somebody else to focus on here. That girl has really nice leggings. I'm going to admire her leggings for the whole workout. And then it's it's fine. Mm. It works. Mm. Yeah. And what happens there, in, it also happens with people in the workplace as well, because you end mm. up taking yourself from one job to another job. 
And sometimes when you start the new job, you forget all of the stuff that you've learned. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I'm brand new. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know a thing. I've got no idea what I'm doing. You built up a whole load of knowledge, skills and experience. So like yourself, if you're using the gym analogy, you've already built up your muscles to be able to do the lifting of the weights. But somehow the brain goes, this is a new situation. And you then need to remember what you've done before. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the key things is, is sort of really helping people overcome some of this chatter is to remember the knowledge, skills and experience that yeah. you've already built up and bring that with you to any new situation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So is there also any correlations with age? Because, you know, mm-hmm. I know certainly for myself, mm-hmm. um, the older I've got, the more able I am to go, well, fuck it, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm not you know, nearly as old as you and I still get that. <laughs> and, and being really happy to actually I'm going to digress a little as well because I wonder whether there's an age correlation and the ability to make mistakes correlation Mm -hmm. that I now embrace so yeah so two things that sort of age and ability to make mistakes or Mm -hmm. embracing so there's another additional one I'm going to add in as well in in the more you know the more you know you don't know Mm. oh that's good there's sometimes with age knowledge grows not always but we hope it does don't we and so the more you know the more you're aware of your own ability to know that there's so much more in the world that you don't know stuff about and that you know you say well actually my niche and my expertise is on the imposter phenomenon but even then I look at how much research there is and yes I've read an awful lot of the journal articles that are out there on this particular topic but I'm also now reading about courage and I'm reading, I've been spending the last yeah. couple of days immersing myself in courage because there's something about needing courage to overcome imposter chatter. And that's going to be part of my PhD research. And, and this bit is um, the more you realize, oh, my God, I don't know anything about mm. you. know, And I haven't. So the more I'm researching, the more I'm aware of the amount that I don't know. Mm. And I think that also happens with age. It, it's correlated with success. If you talk about success, what does success mean to you? And and that's something very different for very different people. So for some people, coming back to age piece, folks who are tootling off to university and they're the first ones in their family to ever go to university, you know, do I belong? Yeah. Uh, folks who went to a state school that happened to have got into one of the, Ox, uh, you know, Oxbridge, uh, so Oxford or Cambridge or um, one of the Russell Group, you know, top group universities, maybe they're going, do I really belong? It can be to do with also ethnicity, diversity. It's who you see around you from a role model perspective. Do I see as many women? Do I see as many men? Do I see as many colours? Do I see as many with the same sexual orientation as me? You know, all of this stuff. Mm. is bound up but it's also down to upbringing so whether or not you coming back to my point about being brought up in Lincolnshire the expectations when I was growing up was that I would marry a farmer and so yeah on you you don't have to it's okay <laughs> <laughs> 
of a farm life. I'm so high maintenance. <laughs> it, was either, it was either marry a farmer or go be a hairdresser or be a carer. And those yeah. are all valid options. You can do any of those if you want to, but they were not for me. I'm Never afraid. Yeah. No. Never. And, and this is the thing then you've stretched beyond the childhood expectations. You stretched beyond what you were thought of doing. And folks that have moved from another country to this country and they've stretched beyond their own family's expectations as well. So there's a huge bit about the community or upbringing type of expectations that you have then if you've gone beyond that whatever that might be for you as an individual that can help trigger imposter chatter that also leads me back to the mistakes piece that you mentioned earlier Sarah Uh, because actually uh. making and embracing mistakes is really hard for people with the imposter chatter really hard and I have hands up total total sort of fear until I did my master's, which I passed and graduated five years ago f- from the University of East London. And I say I don't have a first degree. So I didn't go to university. So I don't belong. I'm not academic. I'm not clever. I failed the 11 plus. And I went to Norwich City College. So mm-hmm. I did. My, I know Norwich City. <laughs> my fellow students, when I started, quite naturally said to me, said, Kate, so what's your first degree in? I go, mm. don't have a first degree. And they're going, oh, so they let you do a master's without a first degree then? Oh, I really shouldn't be here. Mm-hmm. And that's when yeah. I came across the research for the imposter phenomenon. I just went, ah, it fits. That's mm-hmm. what it is and what I've been feeling all these years. And it's quite interesting how it's easy to dismiss the successes. But coming back to your point, Sarah, about mistakes, it's mm. actually the mistakes are the ones that live with us. And Roy Barton... Is it Roy Baumeister? I think so. He wrote a, a journal article in 2000, and the title is Bad is Stronger Than Good. And it's so true. With the strong negative emotions, they tend to hardwire into us from a, I, I guess, that element of, of the looking after ourselves from you know, being healthy human beings, you know, we need to be aware of the threats that are around. The problem is we still hardwire the strong negative emotions, even when they're not real threats. Mm-hmm. And so mistakes mm-hmm. become hardwired into us as if this real threat happened. And actually we need to learn to learn from mistakes, but make them and do a bit more, as you said, Sarah, with the effort, you know, I just don't care. And actually that can be really helpful and healthy. And it wasn't until I finished my master's, I was interviewing 12 entrepreneurs and asking them about the imposter phenomenon and what's called entrepreneurial self-efficacy. They do love to speak words. Um, That's a good one. Entrepreneurial oh. self-efficacy. Oh, it feels dirty. <laughs> it's like, oh, it's got weight to it. Don't wait to it, but yeah. it comes back to this point about do you believe you're good at what you do and, and that you can do what you say you can do? And and so it's a bit like we term it confidence. And I was interviewing them and asking them about successes and failures and, and com- in the course of conversation. And when I asked them about failures, a huge, say huge number, 10 out of the 12, I would say, went, oh, failed. Um well, there were some things that didn't work. Learn from it, move on. And I know it took me until I was 50, but in 2015, I suddenly went, oh my God, you can view mistakes like that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
things that didn't mm. work, learn from it, move on. And it was such a revelation to hear other people say that, but we don't tend to talk about them. And okay. so I think, I think we mentioned Sarah in planning this about having a, a, a potential follow up about just discussing mistakes, just discussing failures, just to, you know, having, uh, there might be one you're already doing with somebody else about it. talk about the F word. We need to talk more about this stuff that doesn't work. I think that's why I love it. the how to fail podcast with Elizabeth yes. Day. brilliant because you hear all these amazing people coming on and sort of saying okay here are three massive failures that happened in my life and here's how they helped me in some way and it's brilliant yeah and it's this piece about we we need to get more people to understand the work that goes into being successful because we tend to again the media tend to promote people Mm. as this overnight success and not look at the number of hours that they've slogged away in Mm -hmm. their bedrooms doing something or other you know and it's just we just have this vision of they've got to the top of the tree and are mm-hmm. successful and it hasn't happened. And if it, if it happens to us, then we put it down to luck or hard work. Mm-hmm. And actually no amount of luck and no amount of hard work will make you a success if you don't have knowledge, skills and abilities. Mm. And it's that piece that gets dismissed under the imposter chatter is the knowledge, skills and abilities. We just put it down to success is oh, just happened to get lucky or oh, work really, really hard at that. Both of which may be true, but you're dismissing the real underlying stuff. No, I like that. That's good. <laughs> so you mentioned earlier about how imposter syndrome can be linked in with anxiety and depression mm. and all that. And I wondered... The fact that, I mean, I know I've definitely been seeing more of it being talked about, even in people I follow on Instagram, stuff like that. And the fact that perhaps we talk about things like anxiety and depression more and they are more talked about, is that somehow linked to the fact that now we're talking about imposter syndrome more? I don't think so. Mm. I don't think so. And the reason I don't think so goes back to Sheryl Sandberg's book, Lean In. Mm-hmm. And when she oh, yes. wrote Lean In, she talked about her own imposter syndrome. Uh-huh. Then we've got the likes of Michelle Obama more recently, having written Becoming, mm-hmm. and talks about her imposter syndrome. Yeah. Uh-huh. I think the more we're talking about it is because those high profile people, and not just mm-hmm. those two, but many others that are more high profile, have started to, to talk about it in the public uh-huh. sphere. And It's been around since 1978 was when the the phrase was first coined as the imposter phenomenon by Clance and Dine. So it's been around for quite a long while. There's quite a bit of research in the early years, sort of late 70s, obviously 1980s, mid to. And it somehow went quiet, um, Mm. not completely quiet, but it did go a lot quieter in the 1990s, early 2000s on imposter research. And I think... It's more about the fact that Lean In heightened people's awareness of it in Mm. the media. And I think that's where the conversation has gone. Not that it's actually directly linked to the awareness of mental health, which Mm. I think is fabulous that we are talking about these things more. And I think the imposter chatter, the imposter phenomenon syndrome, whatever you want to term it, you need to talk about it more as well, because it is this hidden thing. And it is really helpful to just have it out in the open and helpful for people, senior in business, senior in organisations who've gone through, uh, maybe who's just in their second or third year of doing a degree, talking to their first years about their imposter chatter. Any of those conversations can be really helpful to allay that internal fear, which can cause anxiety. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
how would I know if I have imposter phenomenon, imposter chatter? chatter I like chatter. Going, I do. I love uh, the imposter mm. chatter. How would I know that actually for me it's imposter chatter, not just self-doubt? Mm. You may or you may not. And I, I know you use the word have, which... I also think we, we yeah, I know, it, it's a rather than, and it's good because actually some people talk about suffer from, and we mm-hmm. don't suffer from it because that, again, pathologizes it, again, puts it into that medical, you know, mental health mm-hmm. bag, and, and it's not, but we do experience it. And so mm-hmm. how do you know? I think there's, there is a questionnaire you can take. There's a, there's a validated academic questionnaire that you can oh, search for. I love a questionnaire. But it's not supposed to be used for anything other than academic research. So I can't tell you, mm. you know, you can search for it. You can find it online. <laughs> but it won't tell you what animal you are or I know <laughs> what kind of cheese I am. Yeah. I know. It's not going to give you any of that. So how do you know if you have it? Or how do you know if you are experiencing it, I would tend to go, mm-hmm. which is slightly different. And there may be a point of you don't. You might think it's self-doubt, but I think the, the key is to look at what the external evidence is telling you. And it's really hard to be objective for yourself. Mm. So mm. sometimes it's somebody else might tell you that it's your imposter chatter and you might go, oh, no, 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 no. And I know my husband's very good at picking things out like that in me and going, actually, Kate, that's your imposter talking. Uh, oh, yeah, it is, isn't it? <laughs> I'm almost about to go back to him and say, no, it isn't. But when I look at so it's actually getting the objective evidence to help you um, look at what's true and factual versus what the feelings are. Mm. And the feelings are valid, but they might need to have a little bit of, um, what's the word, um, Look, a, a bit of a conversation with your own feelings and your own chatter because the feelings are generated by the chatter that you have and actually if the chatter isn't helpful can you change the chatter and the only way really chatter can be changed I find usefully is you know you can go down the therapy route or you can look at objective evidence and start collecting some of that this Um, feels like a bit of a therapy session I'm loving (laughs) it I feel like we're exploring all of our doubt and failure and those memories that keep you in bed wide awake at two in the morning because you're like I didn't lock the door once it's it's brilliant (laughs) but there is there is so much chatter that goes on isn't there oh my brain's chatter chatter Yes, yeah. so much. And so it's it's about how do you know? Maybe you don't. Maybe you want to decide for yourselves whether it's imposter chatter or not. Does it really matter? Is another question. You have to give it a label. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you have stuff going on for some people who do experience the imposter phenomenon, then when they have that happen, giving it a label is really helpful because they recognise other people do get this stuff. Mm-hmm. And one of the differences between men and women is that men tend to, this is an anecdotal thing, but they tend to say to me that they'll go, well, yeah, but doesn't everybody get this? Mm. And women will tend to go, oh, that's so me. <laughs> and so it's, it's, it's the way in which men and women can have the same chatter in their head, mm. but deal with it differently. Yeah. And in yeah. upbringing, men as boys are tended to be brought up to pick themselves up, get on with it, push forward anyway, regardless of what's going on. And girls tended to be brought up with, are oh, there, there, never mind, you know, come here, let me give you a cuddle and, and uh, aspect. So social um, 
upbringing makes a difference. Social psychology in that school does show a little bit about the difference between the way in which men and women will internalize failures and successes. So men tend to put the successes down to, yep, that was me. Failure. Oh, now let me find a reason. (laughs) (laughs) Let me find someone else to blame. (laughs) Women tend to do it the other way around. Successful. Oh, no, that was the team. That wasn't me. I just happened to get lucky or it was hard work. You know, it wasn't down to me. And failure is down to me. So they tend to internalize failures and externalize successes. Not to be a woman, but that is so me. (laughs) Big generalization here. I know, Anya, but but, that absolutely fits. It's interesting. And it's down. Sometimes it is down to the the social upbringing the way in which Mm. you are Mm. encouraged to think it's not down to objective Mm -hmm. reality or anything so we can change our thinking and actually look at the external evidence and look at the failures and successes that we've had but one of the things I mentioned early on is is about anxiety and depression and self-sabotaging behaviors and men tend to do more self-sabotaging behaviors than women it's only tendency I know it it sounds like a very gendered discussion and it's not men but 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 there are some gender lenses that you can look at this through Mm -hmm. let's say and so a self-sabotaging behavior can be this piece of oh well let me drink some more gin um you know and it'll be fine in the morning who Um, does that we never say gin cures everything (laughs) stay stay up all night and uh, and and chat to these lovely folks and it doesn't really matter if i don't have enough sleep and then i'll do my event tomorrow morning and i can blame it if it doesn't go well on the fact that i had too much something else Right. so yeah they tend to indulge in more and and usually it's more than just gin you know the risky behavior yeah. whether it's yeah. something more, more risky from that perspective procrastination is another thing oh procrastination and me are best friends women tend to also do procrastination as well as sometimes men but yeah that's mm-hmm. a self-sabotaging behavior i'll put it off i'll do it at the last minute and <laughs> so much of my time is oh well i can't write this until i've researched it and my lecturer i feel like he's already got an email saved that he sends me going you've done enough research just write the thing exactly exactly and it's putting pen to paper or fingers to keyboard it could be really hard because then if you've got imposter chatter going on, as I have doing my PhD, of course, being an 11 plus failure, what the bleak am I doing doing one of these things? Um, and I send something to my supervisors and you're going, oh, God, they're going to hate it. It's a load of rubbish. <laughs> it's not going to be any good. And so there's stuff going on before you, and that prevents me from even writing anything in the first place. Okay. And one of the things when you start to talk about imposter chatter, so if people are listening and, and want to sort of have another tip, is, is don't open up to someone who's going to turn around and tell you how amazing you are. Mm. That doesn't help. Yeah. It doesn't help at all. So, oh, what? You, you, know, you can't have that. You're just fantastic. Look at all these wonderful stuff you've done. It's like, oh, crap. I've now got to live up to your expectations and all this <laughs> other stuff you're now throwing at me. I'm just telling you, I'm feeling it on the inside. You <laughs> heard, not told that you're amazing you know by always tell people why they are amazing but just don't tell them how amazing they are how much is heightened as well by social media there's, there's yeah. more research coming out about that side of things mm. about the impact of social media but again that links to what you were saying on your about the awareness of, of mental health conditions mm. as well because there's the impact of social media on our own well-being too mm-hmm. and it's what you perceive to be true. Coming back to the point about allowing mistakes, allowing learnings, um, giving opportunities to recognise that being the best isn't what we actually need to attain all of the mm-hmm. time. Doing, mm-hmm. 
doing what we can within the time available is what is what's needed. Um, good enough, it can be good enough. And we don't have to have those really high top marks all of the time. We don't have to put all of that pressure on. Some of you that don't I- have to pass your maths GCSE the first time round. It's okay. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> okay. And it being- was one mark. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not still thinking. Oh, but I. When I. I like the being. Being good enough is good enough. Being good enough is good enough. Yeah. 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 And done is better than not done. I want yes. all of these. When people who pre- procrastinate, you know, actually, if you can put a done is better than not done in your in your mind, and you know, send people drafts, give people, you know, this is my first thoughts, mm-hmm. what do you think? those sorts of things. It's actually this is my... the perfection piece. It's like I haven't quite finished this yet, but what do you think of where I'm at now? My lecturer's favourite quote, and the quote that we got from all of our lecturers throughout university, and we all use, is the first draft is meant to be shit. He's like, if you send me a good first draft, I don't need to teach you anything. Your first draft is meant to be shit. I think that's one of the issues with some people who are very successful, very good at what they do is they get it right first time. Mm. And they haven't necessarily known how they do that. It's suddenly like, oh, what's happened here? Mm. I don't know what I've done to get it right first time. So therefore, I can't understand a what failing is 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 like and then get the fear of failure mm-hmm. but also I don't know how to repeat it because I don't know how I've learned it it just happened somewhere along the line and I think that can be quite an issue for some folks is if you just suddenly get it right first time but this <laughs> I, thing about this 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 internal I, I can't accept that because it doesn't fit with my own mindset of myself somehow it doesn't equate to who I think I am in in this world that I'm now operating in and that's where growing into yourself I think needs needs to happen we need to just learn to actually do you know what it might be surprising but I can be dead chuffed about it mm-hmm. and, and start mm-hmm. to accept that on the inside to start to lessen some of the imposter yeah. chatter. I feel like I've grown in this last hour and a bit I've grown (laughs) I've had a bit of therapy I've learned some things I've grown as a person I'm gonna have a t-shirt that says good enough is good enough that's it it might be (laughs) the gym talking but I'm brilliant (laughs) it could be the gym talking (laughs) this has been brilliant it's been Mm -hmm. really really interesting thank you so much Kate it's a pleasure yeah learned tons we might have to do a second one got loads of slogans part two to use for everything i'm campaigning already (laughs) (laughs) right okay what have we learned right what have we learned in concise bullet point style sentences i'm going to challenge you i want none of your flappiness okay we'll take it in turns okay are you ready yeah right I have learned imposter syndrome is not a syndrome syndrome. and you're not an imposter. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But instead, there's imposter chatter that goes on Mm -hmm. where you talk to yourself about how Mm -hmm. you don't deserve the things. Yes. And I'm going to stop there. Good. Very good. I have learned that it's pretty much equal in men and in women. Yeah. 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 Mm. But, But... that we do it differently. I'm better at being concise than you. That's what I've you learned. Are. You are, especially <laughs> after two gins. Yeah. Um, I can't be concise anyway because the words just don't come. No. Mm-hmm. What else have you learned? Um, I've learned, side note, 
not related to imposter syndrome, but still related. Mm-hmm. Kate has amazing hair, and I want I to be know. one of her godchildren. I mean, it's fabulous. She's brilliant. And she's just brilliant. She's oh. gorgeous. And the level of self awareness that she has and can share with others is quite inspiring to me. I really enjoyed that. And I think that is inspiring because yes. that's another thing I learned mm-hmm. was that actually we should just be sharing a lot of this more. With because the right then we, people. And then we wouldn't be chattering to ourselves so yeah. much. Mm-hmm. But you're right, with the right people. Um, but also that it's a hard thing for people to know how to help someone else through because you can't just tell them that you are amazing. You could mm-hmm. list the way you think they're amazing, but they mm-hmm. still might be like, oh, now I feel more impostery. Mm-hmm. And you can't tell them to shut the fuck up. Mm-hmm. because then they might just be like well no i can't i can't talk about it mm-hmm. yeah yeah absolutely so what are the things that we learned that we could overcome imposter chatter do you want to phrase that better <laughs> no <laughs> <laughs> no can't we, be asked i think good enough is good, good enough. enough this is the thing i think we have learned some important mottos today i do yeah, yeah. good enough is good enough good enough is good enough that we should learn to accept mm-hmm. things yep. whenever you're told something is good you've done something good mm-hmm. you go yeah thank you thanks instead of and this is something i read about in lots of my uh books i'm just gonna say books the ability to say thank you for being taught something for being corrected instead mm-hmm. of saying sorry saying mm-hmm. thank you and the ability when somebody compliments you not to dismiss it and instead yeah. say thank you yeah Something. And I think also recognizing when you do something that works and it's good and you go, yeah, I did that. Did that. Yeah. And that when something goes wrong, you go, I did that. But it's okay. I learned this Skeggy Gin um, defied my expectations. It was better than I thought it was going mm. to be. It's really tasty. Mm. Um, I probably had a bit too much of it. Really. Yeah, we had quite a lot of it, actually. It's been superb, hasn't it? Mm-hmm. Really good. Enjoyed imposter. I want a chatter. I want to learn more. Sarah, shall I tell them where they can find us? I think you ought to, because you're the young person, so you know where we can be found. It's true. You can find us on Twitter at Topic Gin. And the same on Instagram. Yeah. And that's all wrong because Facebook's dead in the water. TikTok, neither of us are young enough for. And I forget what other ones there are. We've got a website. We do have a website. We have ginandtopic.com. Photos by Matthew Richard. Yeah. <laughs>